Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. Citizens of the world! I'm here to change your life. Anything 
want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. You look like you saw a ghost. Diana, look at you. It's like now one day has passed. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. Believe it or not, we are hitting 100. That's right, our episode today is the 100th film we've discussed on the film board. It's been nearly a year full of digital releases that we've been talking about, and while I'm sure we all wish for this episode we could have been back in theaters, the world still is what it is, and while some theaters are in fact open and showing this movie, I'm guessing that we all still watch this at home because the movie we're here to talk about is Wonder Woman 1984, which made news when Warner Brothers announced they'd be releasing it on Christmas Day, both in theaters and on HBO Max. This was, of course, the film that essentially opened the gateway for Warner Brothers to do the same thing with many films on their slate through 2021. How has Wonder Woman 1984 set the stage? Is it fine watching it at home or did we miss the big screen feel? Did it hold up to the quality the first film surprised everyone with? Or does it feel like so many other films in the DCEU, clunky and ineptly handled? My name is Andy Nelson, host of The Next Reel, and today I'm chatting with three hosts from various Next Reel properties to get their thoughts on this movie so we can share them with all of you. Mandy Kaplan, how are you doing today? I am well, thank you, Andy. How are you? I am great, ready to talk Wonder Woman with you, especially since you're not really a superhero fan. So this will be really exciting to hear what you have to say. (laughs) No one's ever excited to hear what I have to say. In this house, anyway. (laughs) This is great. Thanks. Ray Delancey, how are you doing over there? I am just fine and dandy. How are you? Happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays. We are right in the middle of it all. And Ocean Murph, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, feeling feeling good after the holidays. Ate a bunch of food. Uh, moved house, moved to a different house, oh. and I'm uh, looking forward to d- discussing this movie. Indeed, indeed. Well, as we say on the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. This movie is over, so let's talk. Mandy, what are your initial thoughts of Wonder Woman 1984? Well, as the person who does not watch superhero movies, I enjoyed it. And I didn't think I would. To prep for it, I watched the first Wonder Woman, which I did not enjoy, nor did I understand it. And (laughs) I am a reasonably intelligent person, but I had my 10-year-old pause it and explain what was going on. I was so lost. This one I understood. It was much, much cleaner plot-wise and less jumping around in time. And and I I understood it all. To say I I liked it. Did, did I love it? Would I ever watch it again? Would I recommend it? No. But was it a reasonably painless way to spend two hours and 40 minutes? Sure. Ray, what about you? Well, my thoughts on Wonder Woman and the Sorcerer's Stone is um, I think it was just as much a mess as most of the other DC movies. Um, I mean, it wasn't like terrible bad, but it's not one that I'm really going to seek out again. In my opinion, there was one big thing that could have saved this movie. And that is if instead of the wannabe oil baron, the Ponzi scheme guy, if the villain had been Ron Popeil. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ocean, uh, your thoughts on the movie? 
I thought the movie was great. It's better than the first one by a mile. Um, it was uh, that it, it was entertaining the whole way. It didn't even feel like a long two and a half hour movie, even though it was uh, two hours and forty minutes. I felt that the characters' motivations uh, in this one, a, a lot of they all made sense. I thought they did a good job of building up multiple villains, which is a difficult task to do in in movies. And so I think that there's a uh, a lot more to love here than to hate. And so I'll start there and we can dig into all the details as we move forward. For me, I'm kind of in Ray's camp on this. I, I really enjoyed the first Wonder Woman and I was really expecting uh, it, this to kind of give me some of that. And I felt this one was lacking. I felt like they were pushing to try doing too much. Uh, that's not to say I think that it's just a terrible movie. I think that there were actually some really interesting uh themes that they were exploring in the film i enjoyed the way that they were porting over some of wonder woman's nemeses from the comics i thought they did some interesting things with it i was one of the people that was really worried when i saw the trailer and i saw that uh steve trevor was somehow magically in 1984 and I was really concerned that I was not going to buy into it. Surprisingly, that was one of the things that I bought into the most with this film is the way <laughs> that he uh, they worked that in to make him um, appear in 1984. It was so, touching. It, it, and it worked. I think it worked. It was. It worked. I, I think that there's definitely going to be a lot to talk about with this. Clearly, we've got uh, a varying set of opinions with this film. Before we jump into the movie proper, let me just start off by saying, did any of you actually go see it in the theaters or did you all watch it at home? Home. I, I watched it at home. For, for me, it was an enjoyable experience to see it that way. I don't know that, you know, I, I think this movie's big enough and the visuals are big enough that it would have been enjoyable to see in theaters. But, you know, I do count myself among the people that are like, well, I'm not going to rent out a theater yet. And so until then, I'm not, I don't know that I'm going to go. What about you, Mandy? Where'd you watch this? Home. At home. And Ray? Home. Did it, I mean, did it feel like it was hurting us to watch this on the small screen? Or does as Warner Brothers plan with HBO <clears throat> Max, do you think that's going to end up working? For me as a film fan, it depends on the movie because I think there are certain films that I'd rather see on the big screen. And then there's other movies like this one, for example, for me personally, uh, where I couldn't care less which way I see it. I mean, I'm I'm not an action movie person whatsoever, as we know. So it, it's fine on the small screen for me. And yeah. I have this is way too personal, but I have a tiny bladder. And when I go to a movie, I have to pee like four times during a movie. So it's so much better at home for me. So I can pause it and go. <laughs> you can have those bathroom breaks <laughs> built in. That, that is the best part about watching a right? movie at home. And, and yeah, and, but yes. And so I think the HBO is getting back to your answer. The HBO Max thing, I think will work tremendously because I think that really there is the enjoying the experience of seeing a movie with a large group of people, right? Yeah. In the theater. And until we're at a point that people are, that everybody's comfortable with doing that, the fact that it's not in a theater, I don't think is lacking. I mean, the big visuals and the big audio that you get from the theater, you miss that for some of the larger movies. But, you know, that's going to be a small sample size of movies as, as a whole. And so I think that, um, you know, that you don't miss as much doing it on the small screen. Well, one thing that I think is worth noting is the fact that it's only going to be on the streaming service for a month. You know, so right. I mean sometimes you get movies that stay in theaters longer than a month. So who knows? Well, I mean, Tenet certainly did. It was on in the, the theaters for, you know, I mean, they ran that for a very long time just to right. try. Isn't it still in theaters? Uh, I mean, I, 
I think it it's should on, be in some, yeah, I know, but I know it's, it's already on out video. on digital. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's an interesting movie to to kind of kick this whole thing off, and I think it will work for Warner Brothers. I don't know why it wouldn't. Obviously, the partnership they have with uh, HBO Max is going to be very fruitful, and I think they'll make a lot of money um, doing it both ways. And, uh, you know, yes, I do wish that I could have seen this on the big screen. There were some action sequences that I feel I may have enjoyed a little more for the first time on the big screen, but I don't think it's going to be a problem having to watch some stuff like this on the small screen, at least at this point. Maybe it's because I wasn't as much a fan of this one, but well, let's start talking about the movie proper. Um, we start with the Amazons. Uh, I know that that was a very exciting part of the original film when they had so much of the story of Diane as a child and then kind of growing up and, and her life with, uh, uh, kind of on the hidden island, as it were, until Steve showed up. Uh, it, what were your thoughts on kind of kicking it off that way? I, I mean, is it here only because it was such a a critically popular piece of it, or do you feel like it's it's benefiting the story quite a bit? I, my personal opinion, and I'm a cynic, is that Connie Nielsen and Robin Wright had a deal, and they were guaranteed mm. to be in the next one, and so they had to force this in. It felt unnecessary. <laughs> it felt beautiful. The the cinematography yeah. and the CGI were pretty, um, but including like, I don't know how long it was, a 12 minute sequence of a little girl running. I was, I, I just feel like that was to me, one of the prime examples of like the first movie was so wildly successful that no one was going to say no to Patty Jenkins this time around. So when she was imagining the sequence and I'm going to blow my wad on this sequence and everyone was like, okay. Do whatever you want. It was so interminable to me and unnecessary just to get to the truth is everything. You're right. And that there's obviously that point. Right. But is it hitting us over over the head too much? Could have to been have a flashback. Kind of, yeah. To Could go have been her saying minute. my aunt always told me the truth is everything. You know, we, we just didn't need it. <laughs> so that's my cynical opinion. Yeah, I think the scene is great. I kind of do. Um, I think I'm kind of on the half halfway point with you with the man with the cynical. It did feel kind of like, uh, you know, Connie Nielsen and Robin Wright needed to be in the movie. So here's their scene. Cause they, you know, and so th that it did feel a bit like that, but, I, and also there was, for me, it was kind of, when I, even when I'm watching it, I'm going, well, so at eight, she's already better than everybody. Right. You know, like, shouldn't there be like some have growth over time where she gets, you know, she it improves and gets better. Not just, she comes out the gate. She's one of the best, but um, so I agree with, you know, kind of that. I I get and agree with that negative part of it. I, I enjoyed the sequence. I thought the sequence and the scene was very well done. Uh, my Really, my only real quibble with it was that, you know, it had that power at the end of, you know, the truth is everything. You know, look at the, look at our example, Artemis, and, you know, how she got, got became a hero through patience and, and doing good works and, and you know, and th that you need to be honest and that's where real heroes come from. But it didn't really come through the rest of the movie. Right. It wasn't like there were other points in the movie where, you know, she had the choice of either being honest or deceitful and then made the right choice. Right. It was it was really, you know, I mean, she was making choices, but it wasn't about, you know, deceit or not deceit, not to not to be deceptive. And so I, I didn't feel that that the point that they were making there resonated for the rest of the movie. And I would like to have seen it where had that truth point mattered more then this scene would have been more important and more integral to the movie as opposed to a cool action sequence to start it up you know for the first 10 minutes well, well do you not think that it was kind of about cheating and that's kind of what she was doing with steve and like she was cheating the fact that he's 
dead to keep him alive now and wanted to you know keep that wish because she found a way to kind of cheat reality so that she could have him and the same thing that Barbara was doing or you don't see that I guess I don't see it the same as that because a um you know so she didn't get there on purpose right she when she made the wish she didn't realize that was even happening once it occurred obviously you're going to take advantage of that for a minute and just be like I'm you know I don't care what's happening but you're back I love you it's great and then really the next day she's like we should figure out how you're here right and then once they finally figure out what it is and she understands the consequences of what it is of course she doesn't want to let him go but she doesn't try to she doesn't really fight against it above what i would consider normal right there's the the, the normal amount of i don't really want to do this but when push came to shove or when anything started happening then she she did do you know she did do what it took to then move forward from that. And she wasn't, you know, trying to cheat the system. I think like some of the other characters were. So I, I just didn't feel that it was intentional enough. I didn't hate the beginning sequence and I really didn't have a problem with it per se, other than the fact that to me, it seemed like it was just fat that could have been trimmed off to save us some runtime. But the one thing that occurred to me during the Amazon sequence was my God, I hope this isn't one of those scenarios where they have a flashback every 20 minutes back to her when she was a kid. And that wasn't the case here, which I was glad for. But I, ultimately, this is such an inconsequential sequence. I mean, obviously, it does have you know the key philosophy of the movie in it. But like Mandy said, you could have achieved that with just about anything. Yeah, I mean, it was, I thought it was really fun to watch. I mean, I really love this world that they've created with the Amazons. I think it's it's just beautiful. Just watching what they're doing is fantastic. I, I really hope that the Olympics looks at this and figures out how they can integrate this in as <laughs> as a new type of uh, pentathlon, because it was it was a pretty, a pretty exciting to watch. Um, but yeah, I just, I wish that I felt like um, it did more for me. And I guess... You know, starting there, I, and I'm, I guess I wasn't surprised because I know it was such a, a hit when the movie came out that they like, if memory serves, they found a way to shoot some scenes in this same kind of world for, I think it was Justice League, um, to have some flashbacks from her to that that whole world again. And so clearly people like to see this part of the story. They like the way that it gets integrated. I, but I, I feel like I'm with all of you that it's just it just seemed like a little too much. And I was just like, you know, it's it's a fun sequence, but I just felt like there were quicker and uh, just better ways to kind of get it across. Yep. So, yeah, I agree with that. And I just do want to before we move on to that, I wonder maybe it's possible. And I'm just arguing with my own point. Maybe it's possible that we're overthinking this second section of the movie and that it could be like this section is like the first 10 minutes of every James Bond movie. Right, it's a big action sequence that's cool to watch, but really is completely irrelevant to everything else you're about to watch. And it could be that they were just doing that with an Amazonian twist, where she's a kid. Like, here's 12 minutes of an action sequence, but it doesn't mean anything to the rest. I, I mean, I feel that's pretty positive possible because I mean, the idea of kickstarting an action movie with a big action sequence makes perfect sense, right? I mean, you're going to have this this exciting bit, and why not start it with? this group here i just uh, i just still feel like there we could have had her doing something in 1984 that might have 
you know, been a way to lead in the story a little better. So, and I hate to be a negative Nelly, but I would, ha- if I ever had seen a James Bond movie, I would hate it in a James Bond movie too. It would feel like sure, get yeah. to the story. Let's look. Where are we? What's you know what's happening? So, I mean, it is very, very much an action movie trope. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are there are points where it's like when it really connects and it does connect because of the the thematic lesson she learns and all that. But as we said, it just takes a long time. It's like watching a pod race, you know, and then finally getting the message uh, out of it. <laughs> so let's not compare uh, it to the, one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's jump then. We This this does. It's titled 1984. It takes place in 1984. Why do all of you think that it takes place in 1984 and is that could it have been a present day story or are they just trying to keep wonder woman to be kind of a a period story because the last movie was a a period film and now again we're in a period film is there do you any are there any problems with this or is it all working for you (laughs) problems galore (laughs) okay ray what are the problems because i'll tell you I'm with you there. This is one of my (laughs) biggest issues with this movie. I am so sick of the nostalgia train in cinema in general right now. Mm -hmm. And if the 80s, I feel like we've gotten so much 80s callbacks in movies lately, just. And TV shows. Gag me with a spoon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but. So you're going to bash the 80s tropes with an 80s trope? You get the irony ocean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Like, I feel like this is so overdone. And it totally could have been done today. I mean, people are going to look at today's films 30 years from now and think that we were trying to recreate the 80s in real life or something i mean it's it's a getting annoying and and the amount of mentions setting it in 84 doesn't bother me at all and ocean had some really fine points about why that works that i won't pretend are mine <laughs> but um but the <laughs> amount of like my biggest pet peeve is how many references. So you walk by a guy and he's in a Miami Vice t-shirt. And then uh, the Kristen Wiig is drinking a Bartles and James, a very clear homage. And it's like, we get it. It's 80. We get stop with the references and the product placement and all the. That's what bothers me. Not setting it in that world. I, I It's, I think, enjoyable to see what technology was and what fashion was but all of the um i'm not thinking of the right word the tropes or the or the little gimmicks that they put in to prove their point it drives me insane i i I guess i'm i'm kind of baffled by this uh thought process because we don't say that about movies that are set in the 60s or the 50s or the any other decade right i mean is it is it that the movie set in the 80s and it bothers you that it's the movie or does it bother people because people just don't like the the visuals of the 80s right like maybe you know the the cuz you know we look back at that stuff and think okay that like parachute pants are stupid right fanny packs are you know dumb like you know and, the, and like when you look back at it you're like what were we thinking how does it look like this and this is all crazy right but you know, and so I'm, so to me, you know, the we can talk about why I think the movie set in the eighties in the eighties, and I think there actually are a few good reasons to do it. Um, but but I do wonder the 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 back, the backlash of it is is it that you feel like let's say the movie had been set in the sixties or fifties, would you also feel that way that it should be set in present, or is it 
Is there something specific about the eight? I didn't have any issues with the last film. The fact that it was set in a totally different period. Like I didn't have any issues with that. I, I agree completely with Mandy and Ray that this film is, is hitting you over the head so much with the eighties nostalgia factor. And I have the same problem with people doing it in the sixties when every other character is like a hippie saying, Hey man. And you know, or, or, uh, you know, a very sixties stereotype. I just felt like they were playing the stereotypes far too extreme and pointing it out so much that it's like, yes, I get it. You know, no country for old men was, it it took place in 1980, but nobody goes and says, Oh, they were overdoing it so much in that film because they, they put it in a period and they just let it be in the period without having to have a fricking wardrobe montage that just was like, (laughs) Oh God, did we need to go there? That was like, one of the worst things in the film, the fact that Steve had to have a little wardrobe changing montage. I I don't mind it being in 1984. I, I do have questions about it, but I think largely I get why they were picking the year or at least the decade. But I just wish that they weren't feeling like, hey, let's just do everything we can to remind you this is 1984. Yeah. Everything's big and garish. And it just was too, too much. It's too cutesy. And it's. And I I was watching um, Young Sheldon and it's the same. And everything they reference is like a phone in your wall, in your purse. That'll never happen. It's just so obnoxious. (laughs) Like it's I it's the tone to answer your question, Ocean. It really isn't when it's set. It's the tone. Mm -hmm. It's the wink, wink of it all that really gets under my skin. Okay. well, I guess while I didn't quite definitely uh, react to it the same way you do the i i can see that the comedic effect of the wardrobe montage could be very much uh, hitting you over the head with the with the 80s but i think it made as far as the movie goes and pivoting back to that as far as having it set in the 80s i think some of it made sense in the 80s to make it where the what the characters decide to do makes more sense uh in that decade versus the present time as far as especially with the villain the the fact that it's based around oil um, oil, you know, having our, our primary villain, uh, you know, basically start out as, as an oil shyster. He's doing a Ponzi scheme, but, you know, doing oil and everything, um, you know, makes more sense in the 80s than it would in present time. Uh, the For whatever reason, there seemed to be in the movies, in one of those movies, like she's trying to keep herself a secret. Right, right. You know, like like when when there's in the mall scene, when, you know, she's doing the, when she's rescuing the little girl, how she immediately throws her uh throws her bandana or headband to then take out all the cameras which you know in 84 that only been three right you know and we're in present time there would have been hundreds of them around her so so there are certain things you know about that that i think makes some sense to have it then set have it set in the 80s but but uh, yeah but i but i get what you're saying the wardrobe montage i'll i'll, I'll that. <laughs> no one can argue that. I, that that was a bit much yeah yeah I, I can't i can't i can't defend that part. tell me if i'm wrong but to me it seems like there are so many movies that are set in the 80s as opposed to other decades these days and it just seems like the 80s in general is overdone i i, I don't know um I, you know like while i can't Think right off the top of my head right now. Maybe you can then list out some of the other, as far as comparing it to other movies. You know, how many are in the '80s now versus other times? I think that, I think that the '80s style and the '80s look is so distinct for really two reasons. One, it's very distinct in how it looks, and two, we all lived through it, right? So, so we're going to notice a lot of little things that you wouldn't otherwise notice, right? You know, like even if you take, so for example, in Wonder Woman, the first one, right? They make a lot of references to the fact that she's wearing clothes that show her below the knee, show her legs below the knee, right? Which 
you know, in our, t- in our times and sensibilities in our lifetime, that really doesn't matter. Right. But in the, in the, during World War One, you know, you know, a woman never exposed anything below her ankle. Right. And they kept doing that trip over and over again with, with, you know, kind of what her outfit is and, you know, how it looks in that time frame. And so I think that there are things about it where there's parts of it that, yes, there could be more, more movies that are coming out like that. But I think it's just more that we're going to notice it because the eighties is like, well, I, I was alive in the eighties. I know what that looked like. I, it, it resonates much more with me. Whereas in you show me a movie set in the twenties and for the most part, if you're not dealing with an historically accurate event, I'm just going to take your word for it. So that's what things were like. I don't know. Well, it doesn't bother me. The, like the chauvinism in the eighties. Great. Yes. It was a chauvinistic time or, you know, the inequity between yeah, men and women. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like why, <laughs> why are they wearing heels? Right. But in Go terms ahead. of, so you said like pointing out, oh, Diana, you're showing a lot of leg and we don't do that. And that's that's mm-hmm. a sign of the times. And that doesn't bother me in any decade. Yes. But if the 19 teens were like Coca-Cola, it's this new product. Everybody should try it. And they kept doing product placement and gags. That's what gets me going. So then were there parts of this movie that you felt that they, that was happening? Yeah. With with the so, with the like, wardrobe and the homages to the Bartles and James wine cooler and the Miami vice and just all that felt very forced and cutesy. I mean, it was kind of fun to see like, Oh yeah, women did wear those outfits when they went to the gym. Like there were those moments yeah. that I had, but <laughs> <laughs> largely it's like, uh, yes, that, yeah, what she put on in the gym. I was like, wow, but I mean, I guess uh, let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, why 1984 then? Because I mean, yes, there, we have some real issues with the fact that they overdid the eightiesness of it, but I mean, obviously they picked the eighties for a reason. Uh, Ocean, you had some points that you wanted to talk about as far as um, why you felt like this period was good. You brought up the whole oil thing. And honestly, I, I'll say, I think it could have worked anytime. I think that the way that Maxwell Lord's character was written, he didn't have to be in oil. He could have been in any industry. It, it didn't have to be oil. So why 1984? Well, What's, what was going on in 1984 that makes that such a, a pivotal year for this story to be taking place? Well, the the oil thing, I think, then is it is specific, obviously, the, not only the history of oil, but how um, you know what it was treated as and how it worked in the eighties, right? That it was still something that could be considered an exploitable commodity. That it would make some sense that people in you know because you had the Texas oil booms in the late seventies, and then you had uh, when Saudi Arabia came online with oil, and that to use that as the the driving trope of the Ponzi scheme, right? Because the really there's kind of two things that are happening. It's almost a, it, it is, it is, it is a little slight misdirection, right? So he's, he's a big oil guy that he's trying to make this oil scheme go forth. Right. But really what he's doing is he's just doing a Ponzi scheme. And so by doing the Ponzi scheme with the oil, you kind of have that as your driving trope that gets them to, you know, that gets them out to Cairo and it has them but, where they, you know, travel around and they have other things. But the question is, is he yeah. really trying to do any of that? Because he's not. Like that no. happens to be his job, not. but really he's trying to get the wish stone so that he can become a, exactly. a genie, basically, right? I mean, exactly. that's so, exactly. I mean, so why can't that be with like a tech guy in the present day? That's, I guess that's my issue with it. It's like, I get that. It, 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 I understand your point about the whole oil baron thing in 1984 and why it fits that period, uh, you know, why that makes sense at that particular point. But I don't understand. That's not his character through the course of the story. His character is 
I want to be greedy and I want to have this wish stone, which is wish stones, you know, are, I mean, they're, they're good any year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I can, I can see what you're saying as as far as, yes, the wish stone is good any year and what he's doing is a Ponzi scheme. And And I think that the, the Ponzi scheme to be able to do it with where there isn't any there there with the oils and with the land, like we're going to dig out this gold that's going to come later and to have something like the way you have that as your setup initial trope for it to then move forward to being really just the, the biggest Ponzi scheme ever. Cause that's really what, that's why he wishes to be the stone because he wants to be the biggest Ponzi scheme ever, ever. So the oil part I think works and that's why I think it only works in 84. And if he did it as a tech guy, I think that you have a lot of other issues. I do think that the the with Diana wanted to hide being, as I said earlier about hiding, being a superhero that works in the eighties because you're not going to have as many cameras. Well, you brought up a point and, about Steve also. Oh well, the thing I brought up about Steve earlier was that it it allowed that was a shift in the tonal shift in the movie, right? Because when you're first coming in the movie, where it's very eighties, it's very nostalgia. We're looking at it like you know all this stuff is super old. But when they bring Steve back, right, it, it turns it into kind of moments of where the 80s looks futuristic because he's looking at it from of eyes from the 1920s. So an escalator is a futuristic thing. The train, the subway train that goes through is, is futuristic space travel. A TWA airplane, which none of us have probably even seen since the 80s, is this wonderful futuristic thing. And so I think it creates a nice sweet tonal shift as well uh, to the movie, not just that it's just old looking nostalgic, but then also you have a character who's like, it's like you're kind of rediscovering the 80s. And, and you know, you can almost like, you know, kind of like when you have a child and you're rediscovering the, or, you know, the world again. Like, you know, like when I, when my, when my oldest was two years old, I was never so excited as to see a train as then, right? Like all of a sudden, oh my God, trains are exciting. So it allowed a tonal shift of the movie that it made it where these things were being rediscovered through this character. And you could then look at the 80s not only nostalgically or, you know, like all this old stuff, like you, when you first come in, but then you can look at it again, like, Hey, you know what? That is kind of amazing. And I can see how you would see that as amazing. And it makes it where it's a little bit, a little bit of a, you know, a nice, better, prettier thing. Right. And there's a sweetness to it that wouldn't exist without the Steve Trevor. I think that's a really interesting way to approach it. I think it could have worked in the present day, but I actually, that was one of the things that, when it approached 1984, I thought was actually um, a really interesting point that I hadn't thought about. That I was like, you know, that's actually really interesting coming at it from the two different points in time. Steve from so far before it and us from so far out, so late after it and and having them look at it together. Mandy, what are you about, uh, you know, just the 80s and like the Reagan era and greed and all of this sort of stuff? I mean, are you feeling like that, that ties in in any way here? Well, first and foremost, it highlights that Chris Pine is dashing in any decade, really. <laughs> I mean, by any standards at any point. Um, yeah. Even with a fanny pack. Even with a fa- <laughs> fanny pack. Um, but I think that the 80s were known as that that decade of greed that gordon gecko reaganomics time so it it does work and i think building to the end where uh he needs to connect with with the world and it's and there's no internet and there's no you know he's like wait if i broadcast from this place i could be seen on all the tvs and the store windows and that you know for that to be as cinematic as it was uh, it needed to be back before the internet, but when technology was edging up to the internet, that made sense to me. 
from an artistic standpoint, pick a time and go for it. Set it in the 80s. That's fine by me. But I do think it could have worked if the story took a different turn. It could have worked in the 50s or the or today. There's no reason. Yeah. I I think that's an easy sell. Ray, what about you? Does it, I mean, do, do you feel like these themes of the 80s, just the greed, the Gordon Gecko era, I mean, is that all, is that working for you? Because I, I know you already were having issues with 1984, but if you look at it that way, does it, does it start feeling like it's making sense or does it still feel like they didn't do enough to really make it click? To be honest with you, I think that those themes are eternal. I think that you can see them in spades just about any year in history. So uh, to me, there really uh, was no reason specifically to have it in 84, but um, I totally see where you're getting at there. Well, and I also was wondering, like, why not 88? Why not 82? Like, was there something with, and obviously they just had to pick a year, but I was like, is there something about 1984 that they were specifically honing in on? And I, I guess I wasn't quite sure what that was. Maybe there, maybe there is something, but. You know, yeah, maybe it sounds good because of the Orwell book. And you that's, know what? I, exactly, I am yeah. so I, upset I that they what, didn't have what. any kind of George Orwell gag in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so maybe it sounds good because of that. I think you did need to have, uh, you know, for while smaller points in the movie as a whole, you, 84 makes more sense than 88 because the Cold War still needs to be happening. Um, you know, having, even though they didn't have Reagan be president, but having that era of presidential, you know, that area of presidential politics and that era of geopolitical strife and, you know, the Cold War really going on, I think, was important. Nuclear weapons needed to be a common thing that was a real threat that people thought were going to happen. So I think that when you look at some of, you know, kind of the direction of the policy scheme, where it went, uh, the pre the presidential, uh, you know, when he started going to the presidents to try to get other things, and then I think Manny made a great point about that. The technology of the internet didn't truly exist yet, and, and so, you know, that time frame is, a, is really about right. Because, you know, if you start going to 88, 89, you know, the internet is, you know, it's not what it is today, but it's a lot further along than it was. In and then you have mo mobile phones and things like that that interfere with the face-to-face -face action. <laughs> those giant car phones, they didn't yeah. be using those giant car phones, which would be great. <laughs> yeah. Those bricks that people had. Well, okay, so this is the ninth film in the DC's um, universe here. I, Mandy, I know you haven't seen any except i'm assuming just these two wonder woman films correct uh, so ray and ocean i don't know if you've seen all of them but how, i mean how does this feel as like another step in kind of building this extended universe that dc is trying to put forth and would it have made more sense because let's see the last film that we had from them was harley quinn um, Birds of Prey, and then we had mm -hmm. Suicide Squad. Was that do, one before that? And Justice League. Do, do those? Uh, do those count? They're all in. The, yeah, they're yeah, all part they of it. And, okay. yeah, and yeah. so I feel like the last time we saw Wonder Woman was Justice League. I know we're getting a whole new version of Justice League as an extended kind of mini series. But I mean, based on what you've seen so far, are you feeling like you know is this is this a good uh, kind of uh, brick in the whole? universe that they're building here i feel i, I go ahead Aaron. i just gonna i feel like this is really filler i feel like if looking at the dceu universe on a whole it doesn't look like it has much to add to the over any kind of overarching story or anything and as a sequel to wonder woman 
I mean, it touches on some of the things that the first one did, you know, like uh, she's now learning how to deal with the loss of Steve, uh, which uh, I, I thought that part of the story was good. You know, whenever she had to renounce her wish, she had to come to terms with the fact that she had to let him go. I thought that was a great moment of character development and also a, just something good to show in movies because uh, you don't see that too often. As a matter of fact, in movies like this, you often see people that just hopelessly cling to their past and to those that they've lost. So I thought that that was good. But other than that, there wasn't really a whole lot to this movie that didn't seem like it was just flash and filler. Would it have felt the same to you if it took place after Justice League, like in the present day? Honestly, I, I don't think it would. I, th I think uh, yeah, that's tough to say. It really is. Yeah. But uh, I don't think it would have. I guess I, I, I take a different uh, tack to that. I think that it adds quite a bit. But I think that really the problem the DCEU has is that Justice League exists. And so that they, they have to overcome it, right? It, th th those movies were straight garbage. And they, they, they're now trying to fix it, right? They, they, for some reason, didn't realize that Marvel's model was right. These movies, you make some individual movies, so you care about the characters individually, and then you bring them together, and then now you have something. Now, now you've got a story that you can build upon. I think that this does add to caring more about Wonder Woman as an individual, right? She's kind of more well-rounded, right? The first one, the origin story, she grows up, she's in the Amazons, and then she just basically fights a war credits. Right. You know, and so you don't really necessarily know too much about her as a person or an individual. Where in this one, you see very, you see many different facets of her personality. You see not only, you know, glimpses of how she works professionally just with regular people. There's her, her love with, with uh, Steve Trevor. There is more superhero action y stuff. But then also there's, you know, kind of her interactions with, you know, while they're, they're, you know, kind of a little bit corny, but I'm going to, I go with it. Like the interactions she has with kids when she's saving them and stuff like that. And it's all nice and cutesy. Right. But there's more aspects of her personality to where now it's like, okay, the next movie she's in, you can find somewhere area in there where you care about her as a character and that they should have done that with all of those, you know, Superman, Batman, everybody before bringing them together to justice league. The fact that justice league exists means you now need to make about 10 movies to get the bad taste of that out of your mouth. So that you'll accept this whole universe. All right. Not a fan of that one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Were any of you Wonder Woman comic readers? Like, I don't think I've ever picked no. up a Wonder Woman comic. Have any of you? No, no but I watched no, I the show I when not. I was a kid. The yeah, Linda that's show. my experience. Yeah. Exactly. That's my experience with Wonder Woman. And how great was it seeing Linda Carter pop up? It was wonderful. And she's I, still gorgeous. Right. Yeah, she was great. And that was like a perfect way to do a cameo. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was fantastic having her show up as um, Asteria. Mm -hmm. I don't, I was doing some research on the comics. So I, I remember Cheetah because I watched the Justice League, um, sh the animated show when I was a kid. And she was one of the regular villains. And apparently she is one of Wonder Woman's longest running villains. She appeared in Wonder Woman episode uh, issue six and has basically been one of her uh, evil nemeses since then. Oh. Barbara Minerva is the, I think, the third of four iterations of, of Cheetah. And um, so to that end, uh, we're looking at a big Wonder Woman villainess here. How does Cheetah work? Barbara Minerva slash Cheetah slash Kristen Wiig. <laughs> you know, 
I feel like this whole movie is just one big mixed bag of superhero tropes, but her in particular seemed like almost a blatant ripoff of Electro from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Hmm. Just just there's like a lot of that movie out of my memory there is just like (laughs) such a parallel there because both characters are like these losery people that work for this big corporation or company or whatever Uh, and then you know they get involved with the hero and they want to be the hero or like the hero and then they end up getting power and becoming the villain interesting comparison i had forgotten all of that that spider-man too but yeah, and, yeah, well, yeah, no, that's also in Batman Forever, same deal. So yeah, so the, the, there you the, go. So yeah, that the, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it at that that angle. I think that it was, you know, kind of making her this way was, you know, a way to humanize the character because in the comics the the origin's very different, right? It's very much you know an archaeological, you know, there's archaeological digs and she goes out and she finds different, uh, oh, there's like different stones, not stones, but different. Uh, items she has to find in other countries, and then that's where the power of the cheetah is passed down. It's it's it, it, it's reminiscent of kind of how Black Panther works. There's like a power of the cheetah that can be passed from person to person, and so I think that fitting that type of origin into this wouldn't have worked. And so I think that they took, which you know, now that you bring this up, it does sound a bit more like a, a tried and true uh, superhero trope. <laughs> but they took this way to introduce the character and then to have it come forward. I think that they also. They do a good job in terms of, you know, I think her, uh, Kristen Wiig does a great job pulling the character off, especially given, you know, given the material of what we've got here. She does a great job of pulling it off. It, it, it does it does work. There are a couple of, you know, questions you have about, like, you know, why does she get two wishes? You know, does it matter that you wish once in the stone and once in the guy? I guess you get two. <laughs> right. And then, but they, you know, so, so yeah. For some My reason, family gets, debated you know, that quite a bit. Becomes, you know, like, I thought you got <laughs> yes, exactly. one wish. You get got one. What? Right. <laughs> so, but I was like, I was like, I guess the stone grants one and he grants one. So you get two. So well, he, he so says he he's both. the wish giver. So he can basically do what he wants. Exactly. But no, he, can, yeah. he says so, also he can only do it once per person because he goes up to his employees like, oh, did I, I already did it right. with you once? And. Yes, exactly. Well, but he didn't do it when he was the wish done with yeah, her. So that's why she I had a real it. issue with um, that. That was <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then there was you know, and as far as the, even the you know going to the ending, one of the things that it allows you to continue that character is you know all this wish renouncing that was happening. Well, Barbara Minerva didn't renounce her wish, right? Well, so she still. Cheated. I was really right. that's exactly a right? point. I was like, okay, so, so they're definitely keeping her in their hip pocket for future wonder woman yeah. stories mm-hmm. because she is yeah. such a, a, a kind of a key uh, nemesis for her uh, mandy Kristen wig yeah uh, i mean she's pretty fantastic i love her what did you think of her and and her turn in a superhero movie covered in cat fur Look, i i love her i thought she was fantastic and i'm curious though as a person who doesn't you know i've seen a lot of movies in my life but not a lot of superhero movies the moment she appears on screen with the hair and the glasses, I know she's going to turn into an evil nemesis to Wonder Woman. And then my 10-year-old looks at me after she opens her mouth and he says, she's going to turn into a bad guy. I know it. (laughs) Now, is that part of, so it's like that builds your excitement because you know that's going to happen because they did nothing to hide it. I mean, I've only seen a few superhero movies, but I always know what's going to happen. Is that part of the fun or is my 10 year old a genius? (laughs) You know, I I feel like it is one of those things. And I mean, I think superhero films, 
definitely take a lot of the kind of the big kind of archetypes and use them to their advantage to tell these much grander tales of the gods as it really kind of is when you're dealing with these kind of powers. And I feel like because of that, we're seeing a lot of that right out of the gate with Kristen Wiig's character of Barbara, where she has this, you know, I mean, it's clear she's, you know, a character who's a little geeky, a little, you know, I guess some might, you know, say that she just, she isn't quite up to snuff as far as, you know, the level that the other characters are. Even though she is, we know she is, she just doesn't believe it in herself, right? She feels less than, and because of that, it's coming across to everybody. Even though Diane sees, you know, she's, uh, or Diana, she sees that she's, she's a good person. She has this, this personality, but she doesn't see it in herself and she wants more. And I think that it's, they're playing with those archetypes quite a bit where you see the archetype of here is a woman who sees herself as less than sees Diana as something to aspire to. And so I feel like there is probably this archetype of that jealousy where she is going to become the villain. So right. I, I guess to that end, they do paint it pretty, pretty obviously. Yeah. Yeah, but but also I don't I don't think that that's unique to superhero movies, right? Well, it's a storytelling device. Go yeah. In, yeah, it's a storytelling device. In most movies, when you go in, you, you kind of know who the who the heroes and the villains are. And then in some 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 movies, you'll know who the villain is right away. And some movies, you'll find out later on in. And and so yeah, with superhero movies, there's it just no, seems so telegraphed. I don't think they ever try to hide yeah. it, right? But you know, yeah, it's I, I think that that's just you know, it's a nice hero trope, and it's it is. I I would say yes, it is part of the fun. Of the whole thing of seeing, okay, well, how did they go from this friendship? You know, they were best friends and tight and buddies, and now they're now they're you know now they're adversaries at each other's throat. And how did that happen? So yeah, that can be I would like to have seen your version though, Mandy, where they really are like best friends through the film, and and Max is the villain, only to have a big surprise that all of a sudden it twists and now she is a villain too. Like, I think that would have actually, I would have felt it's like when you find out that, uh, what's his name in frozen is really the bad guy. Right. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. that gasp Hans. they get in the theater. It's like, <gasps> right. Oh no. Yeah. It's like, you know, I would love to have had that. Like, and in my yeah. version, Spoilers. it would have been Barbara Minerva, <laughs> um, as the puppet master. Like she would have been using Maxwell Lord for her bidding. That's, yeah. I'm just for the record. If anybody wants me to write the third one, that's what that's what I'm pitching. <laughs> well, you know, and it could be they may not had enough, or weren't sure enough about how to proceed with this if there be a third one. Because the, the, I think a lot of times the way you do that in a superhero movie is Cheetah doesn't really become Cheetah until the mm -hmm. next movie, right? That you you build the friendship and everything mm -hmm. through this, and then maybe there's like a end credit scene of where it's like, well, maybe she. Right you know, makes a wish or gets a wish, you know, that kicks off that first event, but then right. nothing happens until the third movie. You can do it that way. And there's been some that would have kept that, that one, way. this one yeah. shorter and more, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Shorter. This is, this movie was the okay. perfect length. <laughs> the perfect length to fall asleep, dude. <laughs> I just wanted to say, I, I just found it interesting whenever she makes her first wish, whenever Barbara makes her first wish, she says, you know, oh, I wish to be, strong and sexy and confident just like diana and then when she gets noticed by her co-workers the only change that happened was that she ditched the skirt for <laughs> leggings right because yes, it's an inner confidence that makes sense and apparently it's the bedhead <laughs> no, also I, because I she slept on her desk too. there was no inner <laughs> confidence she didn't know there was a change she didn't take that thing seriously 
Yes, I, I agree. But I, I think that it's much more of a statement of where she was always ignored. She did change the leggings and that's it. And yeah, I, I'm with you there. But it, it was really that their reaction to her was different. They then viewed her as attractive the way they would view Diana. Even the, you know, even though Diana could walk around in anything, right? And they'd be like, oh my goodness, she's, you know, gorgeous, most beautiful woman I've ever seen. That she was getting that reaction, even though she was walking just in, she hadn't done anything special that she had on and was wearing. And I think that the the change wasn't in her. It was the wish caused a change in the other character. Yeah, the wish, the whole way the wish stuff worked, it was a little sketchy at times. Like sometimes it seemed to make certain things happen. And then other times it's like the president is like, how did I get here? I was just in a different place. And all of a sudden I'm back at my desk. And I'm like, I, it seemed like we started really stretching what these wishes were doing, which I mean, you know, walls magically appearing and stuff. I guess it's the nature of the wish stone. Uh, it just, it started feeling a little like they were really just finding ways to stretch it just for the story points and everything. And, and, to that end, let's talk about Maxwell Lord, Pedro Pascal's character. Uh, he is a he has been a uh, a supervillain since only since 1987. So he's a much more recent villain, but he's definitely been kind of this this uh, businessman type of character that has been around for quite a while. How did Pedro work and and this character of Maxwell Lord? How did it play out for you all? I thought he was fantastic. I don't know him <laughs> but my husband and son were freaking out because mm -hmm. he's the mandalorian i guess you mean, the, so you mean the yeah actor? no i've you never seen them the before and if, i thought he was fantastic i hated him i he was you know awful and and over the top in a fun way i liked him a lot one of you brought up the televangelist idea of the 80s and i felt like he's very much that TV huckster sort of character that we were getting, not necessarily in the religious sense, like a televangelist, but certainly that huckster who is is trying to sell you uh, goods, you know, through through TV and just very schmoozy, you know, just kind of cheese ball sort of character. Um, but I found him to be actually uh, a more interesting character. I was actually really interested to see what they did with him involving his son how his character evolved. Uh, what do you think, Ray? I, I really liked what he did with what he was given with the character. And like you said, the thing that I liked the most was his interactions with his son, Alistair, because this kid is obviously starved for attention. All he wants in the world is just to spend time with his dad. And his dad is completely oblivious to it and thinks that the answer is money and power. And, doesn't realize until the end that he just needs to be a decent person. And well, that was another um, inconsistency in the wishing. The kid was like, Papa, I just want you here with me. I wish you were here with me. And nothing happened. He wasn't, but he was through the screen. The whole thing right. was through the screen. Make your wish, make your wish, whatever you wish. And they all came true through the screen. Mm -hmm. all, right. Okay. All the people. Oh, and then, but didn't yes, he already yes, he get did. his wish though? Yeah, he whenever he was he, physically, oh, he was like, with I his wish you greatness, Papa, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. We wish it. Oh, I wish we could spend time. Of together. course, in my world, he's in Fizzer on the was. Roof, calling him Papa. I don't think that's a right. real yeah, thing. Yeah, but. So, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's like, he's like, I wish we had time together, and then he that that's when he got his wish from there, and so. 
Yeah, I think but that was it. But then Kristen Wiig got two know, wishes. The, I'm just saying the wishes were inconsistent. Right, but if the son had wished against the stone first and then him, because really, you, you know, if you think about it, I think Diana had an extra wish coming too. Right, you know that she could have, you know, she could have gotten the second one had she talked to him. Maybe they could have figured something oh. out with the with the Steve, with the Steve thing, mm. with the second wish. But yeah, but yeah, I thought yeah. that that whole dynamic with between he and his son, um, I thought he did that really well. I thought he, I, I bought into that hook, line, and sinker. Just his obsession with greed and power. And then finally, at the end, coming to the realization that he just needs to be. Uh, a good dad and he needs to just offer his time to his son and I know that's been used a lot in other movies or TV series or whatever but um, it's one of those things that doesn't get old if you do it right yeah you know that dovetails into one of the things that I had a, a slight issue with and so I wanted to get your guys opinion on it Cause so so in the in the end of the movie effectively Right. So he, uh, so Maxwell just, you know, effectively renounces his wish. Right. And then he goes back and he's kind of back with his son. So he's created this massive amount of chaos and damage. But he's just like, oh, I renounced my wish and I'm going to go hang out with my kid. And that's it. Right. And, and th there's no consequences for his actions in any significant way. Right. You, you know, I mean, he may, maybe he lost his money, but you don't even really know. Right. That, you know, but th that he really didn't have any consequences. And also, even conversely for the Cheetah character. Right. I mean, she didn't want to go and get in a fight at the end. And then that's it. She's just unconscious. She's laying there. She doesn't renounce her wish. So in the movie, really, the two, you know, because you have the two villains. Right. At the, at the end of it all they don't really have any consequences to their actions. And so was that, was I the only one that was a little bit bothered by that, that it seemed to be that there, that everyone was just like, Oh my bad. never mind. Well, it's because right? Superman like, spins you know, the planet backwards and rewinds everything. Right. <laughs> 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 oh, so he did that off, off, credit. Oh, okay. he did it off, off camera. I didn't see that. Exactly. All right. My bad. You know, it, okay. So now I'm right. Sense. Exactly. No, it, it really <laughs> is an issue with the film and you know, it's not like I have to see, full consequences for everybody honestly i'm not worried about uh about minerva i think the fact that that she just kind of disappears from the story it's exactly what you get when you're setting up a villain to be a return character in other movies so i i really wasn't surprised that we see little of her but as far as maxwell is concerned it's like do i need to have seen him i mean it's great seeing him reunite with his son but yeah maybe he should have you know then the authorities should have been arriving uh, only to pull him away you know i don't i don't know exactly the way that they would make that play but i feel like they could have done something just to show some you know repercussions for this particular character who did an awful lot of uh damage um in his short well, he, period he of time. basically almost ends the world yeah. Right. And so, well, that's that's what's always like happened with the just, wish stone, right? I mean, in each society that's had it, their society yes, has been right. destroyed. And so I guess that, you know, right. because he was reaching everybody in the globe, that would have been the end of civilization as we know it in that particular point in time. So sure. Yeah. Um, I well, don't know. I feel like there should have been a little something. Well, more than just looking at what becomes of the characters, I wish they would have addressed what became of the stone if anything when that, he renounces right. his wish you know does he now completely cease having the stone's power does the stone become a physical thing again is right. the stone destroyed 
I was expecting a shot of the stone like lying somewhere that, you know, oh, the stone is back and, you know, now somebody, I mean, who knows where, maybe at the bottom of the ocean, but like this, like the ring, Gollum was just waiting to pick it up at a point in time in the future or something, you know, where we have this item again, you know, this, this God Dolos had created this thing and it would have made sense for there to have been some way to kind of wrap that up. I mean, all it needed was a, a shot of it for a couple seconds to really kind yeah. of give us that. Did it bother you at all, Mandy? No, I was so ready for the movie to be over. <laughs> I was like, yay. Okay. We, we talked a little bit about Steve coming back. I mean, largely does that play as something that makes sense uh, in context of the story, having Steve Trevor appear in 1984? I think the biggest mystery to me was why he didn't just come back from the dead as opposed to come back in another person. Hmm. I just thought that was weird. Because then it'd be a zombie movie. What is that like in the context of, well, and I guess that's the, what are the limitations of these wishes? Because then all of a sudden I feel like it's Disney's Aladdin. I can't bring people back from the dead. It's, but it's like, it's never brought up that you can't do that. Um, You can kill people with it. It allowed for the convenience, like, then that didn't become the story, right? He comes back as this other guy, so he has clothes, apartment, he's got everything, plug and play, let's go with the rest of the story. But if he had oh, b- risen so from the dead, it would have been like... montage. <laughs> right, but if he had risen from the dead, it would have been a, a bigger, you know, you would have had to right. deal with yeah. that for 20 minutes. Yes, uh, and also to even dealing with, he'd have to die again. Right. So if he's because he's in essence a a spirit in another body, as soon as she kisses him, runs away, I renounce my wish. The regular guy that whose whose body he effectively possessed would just be like, how did I get here? Right. And then he could just move on and live his life. Whereas if it's his actual body, then I mean, I guess he has to die. Not well, necessarily. You, know, you, have to, you have to. Well, you have to. You, well, something has. To, something would have to happen to his body. You have, you have to die. It could just away, disappear. Ascend, fade out. Maybe he ascends into heaven, or you know, I don't know. They have to do something. But yeah, no, I, I agree. It would create where you'd have to do a lot of story explaining how his body is there and then what happens to his body when it's gone. Versus if he's just a spirit possessing something, he shows up, he's in, and then he's out. I just thought it was a weird way to go. I didn't hate it per se. Just like whenever he shows up. At, at that gala or whatever they, they're having, you know, I, I was so stinking confused. Like, here's this guy, and then the camera spins around, and then all of a sudden it's Chris Pine. Like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I didn't get it for like five minutes, and then I'm like, oh, uh, I think I get it now. Yeah, I ended I up know. liking it. For me, it ended up selling the idea of this whole wish thing. And while I have issues with the way that Barbara kind of resolves her 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 emotions about having wished him it just felt very sudden and it didn't strike me as emotional like that should have been like an emotional hit to have her have to give him up i didn't feel that at all and i was a little disappointed with that but i was really glad that that's how they decided to bring steve trevor back because it made sense to me in context of this whole wish stone story i was like okay that was one way where I would have and could have really bought into all of this. Did anybody watch The Flight Attendant? No. You mean the, the TV television show? show? Television show? I, no. I was, there's a a ghost in the show, and I, I was going to say Steve Trevor could have been the ghost guiding her and advising her through this. Mm. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. They, they could have done mm. it like that. 
But then I guess does the ghost would that still have tied in with the wish, or could he have always been there? I don't know. And the stakes would have been lower because there's no risk of losing him again. Or but yeah, but. yeah. does she get to kiss the ghost? Because that's really I can't remember. Yeah, but there's it worked for there's, there's, more. It's, it's a hot thing. The yeah. ghost in in <laughs> flight attendant. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. It's very very <laughs> um, Demi Moore. You know, and also I guess the, to the question I had was this came up with the, uh, with uh, with my with my wife when I was watching it was so there's two things that they they did I think they did really well and so I'll talk about the second one now which is um, most people's interaction with Wonder Woman is the television show right if you haven't if you were in the comics it was the TV show or or even the old cartoons and it isn't until recently that she has the ability to fly. And so and I remember that when, you know, the people I'm watching with it really took them out and they were kind of looking at it like, why is it, how, how come she can fly? They thought it was a Superman ripoff and they were kind of, you know, wondering, this was like a confusing moment. And so I was curious if that happened with any, with, with you know, either of you, anyone else in that, you know, like, did you already know that in the, in the comics, Wonder Woman could fly? And if not, did it bother you when she started to fly? It bothered me that well, she flew for so long. That sequence. <laughs> So the, the duration of yes. the scene is what bothers you, not the fact that she yeah, could do Yeah, it. bring okay. it on. Superheroes I getting did. more power? Sure. And I never really thought she was flying, flying. I thought she was just falling with style. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the, tying it into well, Steve Trevor well, saying does, flying like, and that's my gift. Catching and, the, right. right, right. Yeah. Yes, and she does, you know, get, get into the, the appropriate fist out me up you know superhero flying pose and then you know accelerate so. but well but i so, yeah, i guess so i was flying. seeing it where she's like falling you know like a like a, a yeah. skydiver sort of person who's who knows yeah. how to read the airwaves so they can kind of you know move themselves different directions okay. and whatnot and then she was always catching something to kind of pull herself back up whether it was a lightning right. bolt or an airplane or something like that so i felt like she never really was flying. I felt like they built it in a way where she was always like pulling herself up and then doing really great drifts for a long time. Okay. That was my okay. impression of it. But they do pull in some other things, like they pull in the invisible jet. And I was really surprised exactly. to see that, that was, pop that was up. Like thing. <laughs> yeah. And and I think they did it in a way that made a lot of sense, right? There was like, you know, they they explain it real quick. She then does it, and then it's just like it's just a nod, and it goes away. They don't. It's, it's not like well, now we have to explain how Wonder Woman learned how to fly a plane because now she has it. It's more like they just did it to get to Cairo, and then you know landed the plane somewhere, and presumably we'll never see it again, <laughs> right? And so I think I think it was a good way to then incorporate that, you know, since that's that is part of the lore from the comics, and uh, yeah, I don't. I don't remember in the TV show. Does she have? I remember. It in the TV I, show? I don't remember it in the TV show, but I definitely remember it in the cartoon. Cartoon, yeah. yeah. In the yeah, in the cartoons, and yeah. she in the cartoon she had it. So yeah, so it was a, it was a great nod to that, and I think it was a good way of doing it. You know, during that sequence, I kept expecting a firework to like hit the jet <laughs> and just it explode. Right. No, I didn't expect it, but I'm like in my head, I'm thinking, I hope that happens. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was a it was a fun thing to see. So it, there were fun nods like that that I I did enjoy. I, I mean, okay, I know we're we're kind of getting to the point where we're going to wrap things up, but let's talk about the themes and just make sure get our read on all of this and how it worked for everybody. We obviously have this whole thing at the beginning set up about cheating and how you can't you can't be great by being a cheater. You don't win by cheating your way to it, as we find out. Even though I never got a sense that she was cheating, other than the fact that she didn't hit her arrow on the little thing, I guess that means she was cheating. But well, she, she took, took a, a shortcut. shortcut. 
Yeah, but I but it's it's there. And that was the weird thing. It's like it seems like it's there for anyone to take if they if I don't know. I guess it was weird to me that it Temptation. was not set up. Yeah. It, the the way that it's set up is a little weird. But so we have this whole thing with cheating and stuff. So she's cheating death by this whole wish that she had to have Steve alive. Barbara's cheating her way out of, uh, you know, being who she is so that she can be more and everything. It's kind of that greed and, and cheating to get more that they bring up the whole idea of the monkey's paw and everything. Does that, I mean, how does that work? I mean, does it feel like that they succeed at least in kind of building this thematic story with what they're trying to do here? Obviously, they set it up at the very beginning. I mean, it's very in your face that this is the message of the movie. Whenever yeah. uh, Robin Wright takes her aside and like, oh, no, you don't get to throw your spear through the hoop because you cheated, <laughs> you cheater McCheaterson. But um, I, I, I felt like the movie dragged on for so long that I forgot the whole purpose behind what was going on. And then it wasn't until she flat out says the words i've been cheating that i'm like oh yeah that's a thing yeah right right so (laughs) yeah i i think that that leads to really maybe then two sides of the same coin one i think that ultimately no it doesn't really work thematically throughout the whole movie because i don't think any of us really even saw that as a theme throughout the whole movie and so so i think that one it doesn't work as a theme since we didn't see it but then also i think two is that well maybe maybe that's not the theme Right, maybe that first scene was just a throwaway cool action sequence. Well, but they right? say it pretty but specifically. I feel like they, they do. They do. It's pretty it, clear about it that. It sets up like, yeah, it sets up like that's what you think it is. In 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 which case, then operating under that assumption, then I would say no, they don't do well of making that a theme throughout the movie. That that it's it was it was almost like they started the writing process and that's where they were, and then somewhere midway through, they changed their minds and went a different direction. Well, I I mean, I think that it's there. I think that we definitely have this whole idea of, you know, cheating to get what you want, which is what all of the characters are doing, even Diana. And Diana has to let go. And then she has to use her, her lasso to kind of communicate with the world. So everybody else lets go and realizes you can't cheat your way out of these situations. You have to. You know, you have to face up to the the reality of it and and live an honest life. And so I thought it was an interesting way to do it. I, it didn't work as well for me as I would have liked it to. And I guess that's my frustration with it. But um, but I, I appreciated that it was there. It was a little heavy handed and it didn't work as effectively as I wished. But I think the main thing that stands out to me was the lasso, right? It, the lasso is such a weird uh, thing in terms of making it work as a device in the movies and how uh, with everything going on in the movie, you kind of just accept it as that this lasso can do all these different things. Right? It extends, uh, you know, it extends to extra long periods of time. It has the ability to grab things like she's Spider-Man. There's a couple of times where you can sorry, reach lightning with it. You can reach lightning, right? You can reach lightning with it. You can fight with it. There's a scene in the mall where it splits in two. And then it grabs two bad guys at the same time, brings them together, and then comes back together as one. I mean, it does all these different things. And so I think that uh, they do a good job of, you know, when you incorporate it through its, you know, after you kind of get over the initial, it just looks a little bit different because it's, you know, it's a a lasso that they incorporate it very well into everything. And it seemed to be much more of a natural extension of her character versus this weird CGI element that was just showing up. The only thing that really sticks out to me was I was impressed that they didn't seem to be oversaturated with CGI this go around. And the CGI that was there for the most part was done well enough to where it didn't look overly fake. So 
so many of the action sequences were, I recognize them from other things. Oh, she's holding on to a car underneath. I didn't Keanu Reeves do that. Didn't Harrison Ford do that? You know, I've, I've seen all of these things before. Um, I, that's more of an, of a script thing or an action thing that I don't enjoy big, huge action sequences. So to me, they looked a bit fake, but seeing it with my son and, and he would, he likes to say like, oh, that's cool. Like he's validating the filmmakers. Oh, they did that well. That's cool. So like when the plane disappeared, he got really excited by that. So I think they did that. There were some really cool effects, you know, that, that they pulled off. But yeah, overall, I don't, I didn't think anything was groundbreaking or. Yeah, I guess I didn't either. And I, I was hoping that, you know, in context of some of the, uh, the fight sequences, I, I wish that, you know, they would have been a little more, a little more interesting, a little more something. I mean, she had some great poses. Diana has some fantastic poses, like when the tank flips over and she comes midair. You know, I mean, there were some cool scenes like that, but I didn't feel like the action sequences brought anything new. Um, except for Cheetah, like when Cheetah, it, it was actually when it was still just Barbara, but when she like uh, dives at the lasso and kind of spins her way through it to attack uh, attacked uh, Wonder Woman. I actually was like, okay, that was a cool moment that I liked quite a bit. And then I just felt like their final fight sequence had like none of that excitement. And I was really surprised right. by how lackluster yeah. the final battle was between Cheetah and Wonder Woman. It just really just fell flat in every aspect. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That was the lower. The, their first fight was much better than the second one. The first fight seemed to be a ham fisted reason to throw in the gold suit. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. Like, it doesn't even, like, I guess that it was so she could block Cheetah's punches because other than that, it served no purpose. And then Cheetah was right? still like, snapping she, off she, feathers off the wings. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and so, yeah, I, I think it was just they, they had an idea for a cool gold suit and thought, hey, let's just throw it in the no, Which was ripped off toys, from right? Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, so. it's it's an interesting entry into the DC universe, I suppose. Uh, you know, I mean, I think Wonder Woman is a great character to have out there. I'm thrilled that it's a strong female character that I can show to my uh, my daughter, and it's something that we can talk about and be excited about. I love that she's out there. I've always enjoyed the character of Wonder Woman, even though I just have never known much about her. I just I can't help but wish that the film had given me more. Um, but even though I thought they did some interesting things with it, um, any last thoughts from all of you before we uh, talk about our star ratings? Let's rate. Yeah, let's let's, see, let's talk about star. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So, out of five stars, we we love Letterboxd dot com. They're a uh, uh, you know a, a, a site that we use to uh, to talk about movies, to rank movies, to uh, to chat more about movies, all of that. So. Um, out of five stars, uh, what would all of you give to Wonder Woman 1984? Well, I'll start with the positive, and I would give it four stars and a heart. I I thought this was a very fun movie. I thought there was there was, you know, as as I said earlier, I thought they did a great job developing multiple villains. I thought it was fun. It was light. It was two and a half hours of movie that did not feel slow and like I was enduring the movie. I was really enjoying the movie. Um, it isn't perfect. There are little quibbles here and there that I can see with it. I think that of the DCEU uh, universe, so I'm grading it four stars as a regular movie. If it's a DC movie, then it's five because most of the DC movies suck. <laughs> um, so, so this is far and away better than most of any of the stuff they're putting out. 
Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a really fun movie and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with this moving forward. Cause I, 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 I think that it's, it's entirely possible. We'll see wonder woman three before justice league. 2. Well, they've already, right? I just saw the announcement today that wonder woman three has been greenlit with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot both returning. So there you go. Yeah. So, so yeah. So it's entirely possible that'll happen yeah. next. And so then that I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. And this is an interesting storyline, an interesting character that I still want to see more of. And so I, I really enjoyed this movie. Great. Mandy, what about you? I'd give it three stars. It was fun. Three stars. It was fun. Is that three stars in a heart saying that you like it or three stars? It was fun, but I'm not going to give it a heart. <laughs> I didn't know hearts were an option. I thought that was just an Ocean Murph trademark concept um, <laughs> on letterbox it is because it's yeah. like oh, you can right. give something uh, like five stars but you know it's five stars but i would never watch it again oh. sort of thing you know and so yeah no it's three stars ray how about you two stars no heart and uh ocean i just want <laughs> you to know that i like justice league more than i like this <laughs> Oof, I have a feeling them's fine words we can argue that oh my goodness <laughs> justice league is so bad I'm not saying Justice League is good, but I like it more. Justice, oh my goodness. I mean, it's, it's unnecessary. Okay, I'm not even going to start. <laughs> we can talk about it later. Justice League is oh, so bad I, for so many reasons. I can't wait for the uh, so, the fights on Discord yeah. about this. Well, for me, I'm going to land, I'm going to give this, you know, I'll say two and a half uh, stars. It wasn't a favorite. I certainly liked the first one more than this. I think they're doing some interesting things here. I like some of the I like the themes. I like some of the characters. I just didn't feel like it landed um completely. And so, but I'm I'll give it a heart because it's it still is a fun enough movie. So two and a half stars with a heart. So that lands us at 2.875 uh overall. And so, you know, it rounds up to three. So that's about where we're landing today. Where are we going to go from here? We are going to be trying something new for 2021 with the film board. For one, JJ's taking a bit of a break from the host role for the show. He's going to pop back in as a voice periodically, but I'm going to be sitting here in the captain's chair for the time being. We're also going to be popping up more often in your feed. We're not quite at a point where we're going to be covering a new release every week, but we are certainly going to be try hitting at least a few weekends each month to see how that goes over the course of the year. Uh, with that, however, we don't know completely what we're going to be talking about in January 2021. We have some definite ideas, but because of the ever-shifting release plans and the decisions, is it going to be in theaters? Is it going to be streaming? We likely won't be making the announcement for each episode until a few days beforehand, or at least a week or so, once we really can pin down something's going to be released digitally, because that's largely how we're going to be watching stuff for the time being still. As always, though, we will be updating our Letterboxd Film Board list for the 2021 lineup as we lock things in. So just check over there if you want to make sure you are up on what we're talking about each month. Also, don't forget to join our online community with fellow movie lovers. You can learn more at thenextreel.com slash discord. And if you're interested in supporting us to help keep the lights on and get some great benefits while you're at it, you can head to thenextreel.com slash membership. Thanks so much for joining us to talk Wonder Woman 1984. Mandy, any last uh, last words to say your farewells? I wish that this made me feel like, you know, I'm going to start watching more superhero movies. But it did not. <laughs> it didn't. No. I'm sorry to uh, to have uh, had that be your reaction. But you know what? I'm thrilled to have had a chance to talk with you about this particular film. So thank Anytime. you so much for, for the joining podcast. Tonight. I'll watch them. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll bring you on the next one then. All right. <laughs>
<laughs> Ray, thanks so much for joining. Any uh, last little thoughts? Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And uh, farewell, film fans. Ocean, how about you? Uh, no, thanks for having me. It's been an enjoyable experience. And everybody should go out and see this movie. It is a lot of fun to watch. It is, it is a great film. And it is a vast improvement from every, all the other direct the DCEU has produced. So okay. And like Ray said, if you want to catch it, you got to, uh, on HBO Max, you got to do it in the next 30 days or so. It's only going to be about a month and then it'll just be in theaters only until it's released digitally. So catch it now while you can. And uh, let us know what you think over in our Discord chat group. Well, that's it, everybody. Thank you so much. Remember, the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Happy New Year. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denny Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.